and welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I am your host for this episode, Scott Dryman, joined as always by my co-host, Alex Kazanis. Hey, Scott. And Joey Weiser. Hey, guys. Uh, this month, we're talking about 1996's Daimajin. A, uh, a giant stone man wreaking havoc on a village. Uh, this is a suggestion from one of our listeners and friend of the show, Robert. Uh, you can find Robert on Twitter at Atomic underscore Elbow, where he mostly talks about pro wrestling and music and you can get his zine the atomic elbow about pro wrestling uh thanks for the suggestion robert um so this is uh my first experience with this movie is catching it on probably tbs or some other Hmm. channel that just had a weird catalog of stuff uh probably in the like early nineties as I was a kid and I I've seen a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other stories online of people in the U S watching it on like midnight horror blocks and whatnot. Uh, what are y'all's, uh, first experiences with this? I had seen it before. Um, I don't know, several years ago, I guess just kind of reading up on kaiju movies and stuff. It came up a lot, and I tracked down the original trilogy as well as there's a TV series called Daimajin Kanan that was made uh, more recently, like in, within the last 10 or 12 years, something like that. Um, and I watched those all kind of together and had a big <laughs> Daimajin moment uh, in my life, but I don't think I've seen it more than once. Alex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my first time seeing it, um, and... The first time I had heard of it was when we were going over movies that we should um, add to our list of uh, mm. of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you saw this on TV. Was it dubbed? I didn't know. Is there an English dub of this? Yeah, it was dubbed. Um, when they so the movie came out in 1996, it was followed uh, by 1966. Two se- or 1966. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, followed uh, immediately by two sequels. Uh, Daimajin Returns, also in 1966, and Wrath of Daimajin, also in 1966. (laughs) So uh, the first one came out in April, and I think the other two came out in, like, October and December. Wow. Yeah. That's Um, how they do it. But apparently, uh, Dae, the studio that produced this, had a U.S. release, uh, or they distributed uh, internationally. Uh, where it was called, I think, The Horrible Idol of Majin. And then a couple years later, a company called American International Productions secured the television rights to it. So it's been floating around in, like, TV syndication libraries since around 1968. Man, I had no idea. I got to take a look at that dub. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't able to find much about the dub uh, aside from anecdotes about people like me who saw it as kids. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a weirdly um, common thing. So hmm. uh, the the 2010 Daimajin Kanon, uh, I, I took a peek at that, and that's a crazy like tokusatsu show. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, it kind of like is about that idea that like, so Daimajin is like a spirit inhabiting a statue, right? 
And they take that idea and say that like any sort of object or animal that's like super beloved by someone uh, will kind of inherit a spirit and might turn into basically a yokai after the person passes away. So there's all these like people that are like human actors, but then when they transform, like if they have to fight or something, they look like these like uh, sort of tokusatsu fighters with like their head is like a pot or a fish or something like that, depending on what the like <laughs> item is that that they were uh, haunting. Uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. It's pretty nuts. And it's also heavily music themed. Mm-hmm. You mean like like BGM or vocal vocal stuff? Vocally, she the 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 girl at like they're trying to resurrect uh, Daimajin uh, by reaching him with song, basically. So um, it's kind of about this girl. Gosh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but like kind of also within herself rediscovering her love of music and stuff. Like she was in a band and had sort of left that behind or something like that. That is bonkers. <laughs> yeah that's that sounds cuckoo bananas um so uh i don't know if you guys did any research on what exactly a majin is because i feel like the um there's uh i guess a lot of when you're majin i i think of majin Buu. Mm-hmm. uh and as far as i know when in dragon ball canon it's basically a just a jinn mm-hmm um, but I think Daimajin uh, literally stands for Great Demon God, uh, as far as the kanji goes. Yeah, uh, Majin, uh, the the kanji are, I think, devil and god smushed together, and Dai just means great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the it it didn't strike me that Majin could also be, mean Jin until researching for this episode, and I was like, oh, that's why. Boo has like weird kind of <laughs> Arabian <laughs> clothing. Yeah, um, yeah. But There's I like also... a Majin towards the end of Doctor Slump too. That's it doesn't look like Boo, but it looks like a genie. You know. Mm. Uh, I also had the uh, head palm realization of uh, Machinga Z uh, Matzinger is oh. Majin because it's a, a great powerful robot. Even the, the, the second series of uh, of uh, Matzinger is actually Great Matzinger, but they uh, use the, the English Great Greto mm. instead of Die. But yeah, I thought that was uh, a little interesting. <clears throat> wow, that's that's a cool uh, thread to connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to give people an idea of what else was going on in giant monster movies at the time, uh, the first Gamera movie, also from Dai Studios, uh, came out the year prior to this. Uh, this this came out about the same time as Gamera versus Badrugan. Mm. Uh, not to be confused with uh, Baragon, the Godzilla monster that Badrugan <laughs> is very clearly ribbing off. Yeah, Baragon is the like <laughs> lizard that shoots rainbows out of its back. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it has a party mode feature as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> the original party mode. And uh, in in terms of Godzilla movies, uh, this is uh, Daimajin came out sandwiched in between uh, Invasion of the Astro Monsters, aka Godzilla versus Monster Zero, aka the great uh, original Japanese title, The Great Monster War, 
which is my favorite Godzilla movie. And uh, just after this, in 1966, came uh, a, a movie that's I think is meaningful to Joey, Ibira, Terror of the Deep. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Japanese title, uh, Gojira, Ibira, Mosura, uh, Great Battle of the South Sea. Yeah, Godzilla versus the sea monster. Yeah. That's the one that looks like a giant shrimp, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Ebi. Yeah. Ebi. Uh, so that that's the kind of like uh, monster movie milieu that this was coming out in. But this movie is very different compared to a lot of other kaiju stuff because it is actually mostly a Judaigeki period film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daiei Studios uh, was probably best known at the, for at the time for the uh, Tale of Zatoichi movies and having released uh, Rashomon a mm. decade earlier. And from what I could tell, I couldn't find very much uh, in terms of credits for the director, writer, or any of the cast, except they appear to be a lot of diet regulars who show up in various other productions, notably a lot of, or a handful of uh, Satoichi stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I messaged, uh, well, yeah, when we were talking about this on, on our chat, I had noted that the uh, cinematography in this movie is awesome, so I had to look up the director. And, yeah, of course, naturally, he's got a whole bunch of Satoichi movies under his belt. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting, uh, just because it's very, like, the uh, the action in this movie is really, um, really clear. You can mm-hmm. see everything that's going on. Nothing yeah, is obscured. It's incredible how beautiful this movie is and the fact that, like, I, I, I don't know if it's an issue with just... English language Google, and maybe if if I were uh, conversant in Japanese, I would be able to to find out more about this crew. But yeah, it was very hard to find information for it. Uh, the only notable standout among the cast and crew is uh, Akira Ifukube, uh, oh. best known for scoring Godzilla and also uh, the the Zatoichi series. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, and yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that. One of the <laughs> actors that stood out to me uh, was Tatsuo Endo, who plays Gunjiro, the sort of like big guy who's mm-hmm. one of the antagonists, mm-hmm. just because he's in a million things. Like he's in a ton of Zantoichi movies and Battles Without Honor and Humanity. He always plays like a bad, bad dude. Um, and so he, I was like, oh, I recognize that guy. So he's he's basically like Sydney Greenstreet. <laughs> he plays nice. this giant giant evil guy and like everything <laughs> yeah um so uh starting into the the synopsis we're opened up on this just like close-up of of fire and an incredibly oppressive moody score um uh and the, we get the credits and then transition to a creepy looking eye fading into a mountain and pan over uh, like hammer horror movie style into this misty mountain with thunder and a bizarre animated wolf. They had (laughs) inserted that. Yeah. I noted in my uh, notes that um, like, Oh yeah, a minute in we've already got uh, two things rotoscoped. Yeah. So we're in for it. Um, but yeah, it's got the the opening of the movie has serious horror movie vibes as we hear uh, stomping, just loud thundering through the mountain, and and as the villagers talk about 
uh, Majin, the the terrible spirit that is that is uh, trapped within the mountain, and uh, the villagers go off to do a ceremony to to make sure that the spirit is sealed. While we we see our uh, samurai lord Hanabasa and his family, he's he's trying to comfort and reassure his children that everything is fine and uh, that they're going to be safe. The daughter, Kozasa, is given a a charm by her mother and is told that, that she'll be safe so long as she has it. But meanwhile, the uh, one of Lord Hanabasa's uh, underlings, Samanosuke, is actually plotting a coup to overthrow him along with uh, the aforementioned henchman Gunjuro. Um, and the the actual coup scene is interesting because we get a bunch of uh, Jidageki samurai fighting, but it's strangely bloodless, which mm-hmm. I, this is very clearly, I think, a, a, it, there's some uh, weird violence towards the end, but it, it's pretty clearly a children's movie and the level of violence otherwise. Yeah. I think it's also, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that like, it also sort of reflects the time period in which it was made. Like, I think as you move out of the sixties and into the seventies is where you start really getting a lot of that gushing blood and stuff. And we're still in the sort of like mid sixties here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't expecting gushing blood or anything, but there's, they, they don't even, kind of bother with any evidence that people mm-hmm. are wounded aside from them, like clutching at their chests or what, or backs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, there is uh, one scene later where we get a s- small hint, which was weirdly incongruous, but I'll <laughs> point it out when it shows up. Um, uh, the, the loyal retainer Kogenta uh, takes the, the two Hanabusa children and uh, with other loyal retainers, manages to uh, spirit them away while Semenosuke's men come and disrupt the the uh, ceremony going on to seal the spirit within the mountain. Which uh, the the religious ceremony being overseen by priestess Shinobu is pretty interesting. There's a bunch of people in masks and kind of costumes. And a large burning man, I guess, meant to to be the the Majin statue. And it reminded me a little bit of a festival scene, although more dark and creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but as there as uh, Koginta is fleeing, there's an interesting scene where uh, it's shot through bushes onto a kind of hillside where you see them escaping through. And I, I just really like the cinematography there of shooting through the bushes as they escape. And then they return back from I guess stage left behind the bushes as they watch, uh, men in pursuit. And just the framing of that scene was, was super neat. Uh, eventually, they they go and meet up with the priestess Shinobu, who spirits them off into the mountains. And uh, it was at that point that I realized that the a good like seventy percent of this movie is really just hidden fortress. Huh. 
That's interesting. Because it's a loyal retainer spiriting the the heirs off into a kind of mountain stronghold. Yeah. Vibe. Yeah, I got that. I definitely got uh, Hidden Fortress vibes for sure from that. That's that's kind of interesting, yeah. Um, But as they're going up there, there's some, some beautiful nature shots of this forest. They're walking through a lot of cool waterfalls and streams and stuff. Um, and they... They go up and they see the actual statue uh, containing the the Majin spirit and basically set up camp there and we get a uh, card jumping 10 years ahead. Yeah, just to speak about the design of the statue itself, I kind of like how like a blanket looks like it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily look like a scary god. Um, it just kind of, so it looks both like, like it could have conceivably been built by people back then, but also just in its simplicity, but just also that it, it doesn't immediately look like something threatening, you know? Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, there's so little detail to the face, but it kind of reminded me a lot of, uh, like Buddha statues where it's just Mm -hmm. this kind of vacant placid look. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's not threatening, and it's just kind of chilling there. Which I I like that face design. I I'm a little sad they change it when the statue is animated, but we can get that to that when it happens. Um. So ten years later, uh, Tadafumi the boy is 18 years old, and kind of like in hidden fortress he's got these he he hears that uh Samanosuke has driven the village to slave labor to construct a fortress for him and Tadafumi has these these uh kind of feelings of responsibility to to liberate his people from this mm-hmm. and uh he uh, Kogenta decides to try to to meet up with loyal retainers because during while they fled, he said they would meet up again in ten years, kind of lampshading the fact that it would jump ten years ahead. Um, and Kogenta goes into the to the village to try to meet up and see what he can do to plot a counter coup. But is uh, goes in uh, posing as just a mountain man, but is pretty quickly seen and recognized by Gunjiro. And after a pretty cool like chase scene, uh, is actually captured by some of those kids men. Uh, I don't have it in my notes where exactly this happens, but I think this is where we have the the minor B plot of a father work, working in the uh, oh yeah to construct the fortress and his uh, young son coming to tell him that his, their the wife is sick and dying but uh the the father is unable to leave because of the terrible taskmasters forcing everybody to work yeah um and he the the father takes a infirm man to the the sick house uh, at the command of the taskmaster the taskmaster shows up and realizes people are escaping and uh, blames the father, but the sick man stands up and says, "No, it was me," and is immediately struck down uh, by the the taskmaster's sword. 
kind of like just driving home how terrible and cruel some of Nosuke's men are. Also during this scene, I it it uh when the grandfather shows up to take the bo- the young boy away, it looked almost like there was uh you could see the grandfather's breath and I'm not sure if that was if it was just that cold where they were shooting or if it was uh some kind of smoke or something on the set. It was very strange. So, uh getting word that uh, Kogenta has been captured, Tadafumi decides to go rescue him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is uh, himself captured as the uh, the father is strung up uh, to made and made to look or made to seem like Kogenta as a lure to trap Tadafumi. As uh, Tadafumi and Kogenta are now captured, it, it, it falls on Shinobu to go and plead with Samanosuke to uh, to have mercy. Uh, both on them and the the people of the village or he's going to incur the wrath of the Majin and uh, this is an interesting scene where Samanosuke is holding a rifle with a lit fuse and points it at Shinobu kind of asking like will your god protect you Mm -hmm. and he fires but it's not loaded but then she continues to kind of threaten and curse him w- uh, with the Majin if he does not uh, show mercy, at which point he stands up and attacks with a sword. And this scene is really interesting because the lights dim and you just the background vanishes into blackness. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is a scene where the bloodlessness like really struck me. Because he kind of attacks her, and and then they give you a full like you see a shot from behind of him like slicing her, and then it pans around or it like the next shot you can see her from the front, and I was like, you I don't know, it just seemed very obvious to me that there's no visible wounds on her, you know. This is but, the one scene where there is some blood because there is a cut on her shoulder and a little bit of like pink cloth, but that's the barest hint that you. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe violence. that's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, I didn't see uh, the you know the really uh, high saturated red paint and blood that we normally get in these mm-hmm. uh, in this era of movies. Um, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I didn't. It you know it, it seemed like better blood to me. The palette in general is kind of muted. Um, this whole movie, which is interesting. Which yeah, that that I'm not. The rest of the movie is so beautiful, it's hard to really tell if that's uh, just like film stock or the, a stylistic choice mm-hmm. or or what that is. But also the, the monster itself is kind of like, aside from vibrant green, is pretty muted colors. So it may have yeah. just been they decided to kind of stick with the more natural color palette. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, the... The scene where Shinobu is killed is, like I said, super interesting because everything turns to black. The background vanishes away as she, like, has already been attacked once and then continues to threaten the wrath of Daimajin in the kind of, like, creepy, almost evil witch kind of way. Yeah. And he finally strikes her down and she gets a few more words in before finally uh, fading away. And then the lights immediately come back up and the transition between those two is, is 
really cool. Mm-hmm. The uh, because the I wasn't exactly sure when the lights first dimmed, but the transition to the lights coming back up is it's a close up on him, and then it kind of zooms out, and you see you can see his uh, lieutenants and and the background clearly again. Um. Uh, Samanosuke at this point is is fed up with everybody talking about these superstitions about the Majin and sends men to go uh, destroy the statue itself so they'll stop talking about it. Yeah. And uh, on the way up there, the little boy warns Kozasa that uh, Samanosuke's men are coming up the mountain and she tries to get away, but drops the charm and is captured as they notice it and find her. And she's basically forced to watch as they start destroying the the statue or trying to destroy the statue. They start hammering away at it to no avail. And then one of them has the idea to uh, destroy it with a chisel and they stick a this giant spike into its forehead uh, but are horrified to realize that there's blood trickling down from it. Yeah, that was a cool effect. Um, uh, also, uh, something that came up in a lot of... Uh, um, in, in, in a lot of people talking about this movie that I read online, and especially in this part, uh, made me think of the uh, Jewish golem myth, mm. which is another kind of... Um, statue that comes to life to to protect and maybe does not go exactly as planned yeah yeah but this is this is the part of the movie where things start to get wild (laughs) um so the statue has not quite come to life yet but all of a sudden there are landslides everywhere the earth starts quaking uh there's lightning and uh, Gunduro and his men are horrified and start to run, but they're caught up in the in the landslides. And at one point, the earth just opens wide and swallows them whole as like eerie green light pours out of it. And just like the special effects during this sequence are incredibly good. Yeah, yeah. And like I was expecting big monster stuff, but I did not expect like big kind of set piece. Uh, special effects of actually like the earth moving mm-hmm. and things. So I was, I was very pleased by that. Yeah. You and, really get the sense that it's not just like a giant thing coming to life that because this is a God, he can control the weather and the world around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, seeing this, this great power Kazasa kneels and prays in front of the, the statue, begging it to go protect Tadafumi and Kogenta, uh, and is just repeatedly playing with it and eventually offers her life and is, is like, it's, I, you can have my life if this is what it takes. And then is eventually like, I'll give you my life right now and goes to leap off the waterfall yeah, she's ready with that, yeah. um, ready to explode like in Play of the Immortal. <laughs> but uh, the the young the young boy uh, pleads with her and is grabbing on her. At which point, the statue finally does come to life, and uh, the 
I really like the scene where the mountain actually falls away from the statue because you could previously only see it from like chest up. Yeah, and I always think of it as seated, like like going back to comparing it to a Buddha or something. Like mm-hmm. I was totally thinking of it as a seated statue, but um, but he's standing. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, the mountainside falls away, and we get this like I guess his like signature Henshin move where he wipes his arm in front of his face, and it goes from the kind of simplistic blank placid look to this like crazy green angry god face yeah it's so good (laughs) and yeah it's i i really like the the simple blank expression i think that would make for a kind of actually more scary Hmm. uh movie if it was just that kind of blank expression but having the like green faced like oni god thing going on is just like so wild that I, yeah. I appreciate it a lot. And something that is was always interesting to me, even when I first saw it, was that usually like because uh, kaiju movies are these dudes in monster suits, monsters can only be so expressive. Mm-hmm. But the one human part of this of this face is you still get human eyes, mm-hmm. which like the the face with the eyes looking through it because it's in this like scowl constantly uh, are just super threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the actor is able to do some pretty great stuff with the eyes themselves. Like uh, there's some good expressions that come out of this monster just in the eyes alone. Yeah, just any time in the film that like you see him turn his gaze specifically towards someone is is mm-hmm. really impressive, and I'm I'm glad that they came up with a a compromise in the costume that allowed for that. Mm-hmm. So the, the my gene awakens, and we quickly go back to the uh, the village proper where Samanosuke is preparing to have Tadafumi and Kogenta executed, uh, which is interrupted repeatedly. Uh, the first time when a bunch of uh, loyal retainers to Tadafumi actually show up and are immediately gunned down and, and just slaughtered in a very poorly thought out attack. And, uh, Samanosuke says it's good that you'll have some uh, some proper company for your execution. And as they're about to get executed, the sky begins to turn darker. A blue light starts zipping around and lands, and it is uh, the the statue Majin. He's just kind of like teleported himself there. Man, I love that so much. Yeah, it's, it looks really good. <laughs> it's it's such a wacky like. It's funny that you brought up the fact. Uh, that um, Daimajin Kanon is a tokusatsu show because that's very tokusatsu. <laughs> and I like that, like Godzilla, in Godzilla movies, you, you usually like is far off, and there's the kind of dread and everything of of him slowly making his way to the city. But no, Majin is just like I am zipping straight there because I'm a <laughs> god and I can do that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he is just right there in the thick of it and the sky turns red. And like I from from now on, like these are the last like twenty minutes of the movie, but all of it is so good. The special effects are all like yeah. 
incredibly good. Uh, the, the rest of the movie has been shot beautifully, but like the, the, I guess the matte painting for the sky, just the yeah. blood red color, um, is incredible. Yeah. Um, Daimajin juxtaposed against the sky. I just kept thinking to myself like, wow, I can't believe they did this back then. Uh, like I, I if that's a matte painting, it looks incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one special effects thing that I wrote down that, um, uh, there's a shot where they're going through this, where Daimajin is going through, uh, the town and, uh, or the construction site, I guess. And there's people like kind of running away and stuff like that. Um, but the, hmm, how do I put this? Daimajin is clearly on wheels. Oh, <laughs> and I, I think, that. yeah. And I think that one point well, you can't see the wheels, but that's just how, uh, it's, it's being carted around, I guess from yeah. um from the perspective when you see the, from the pr- perspective of the townspeople and at one point i kind of noticed that there's a whole bunch of townspeople kind of pushing it but um because all the townspeople are kind of running around and and scared and stuff like that it's it's um sort of uh, obscured as to mm. who is pushing it and stuff like that i thought that was kind of a That's neat great. way to do that yeah yeah, it's it's really impressive. Uh, Daimajin uh, is this his scale is a lot smaller than Godzilla's. He's like a relatable human scale, even if he is still giant. And yeah. uh, they use that to really good effect. Like the instead of being super towering, you can have like human eye level shots of him above, mm-hmm. and where you get that the the really good views of the sky. But just the imposing but realistic nature of him towering over you. And they also made so many, like so many props, like there's versions of his arms and hands that actually are articulated. Mm-hmm. They did at least one foot that they used to, to step on people. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the craziest thing to me is when he actually like picks people up <clears throat> and uh, I don't know the kind of like, the way they did those shots, it, it has to be like part composite, part dolls. And mm-hmm. it's, but the most impressive one to me uh, early on is when he actually, uh, uh, Majin goes to quote rescue Tadafumi and Kogenta, where he just kind of like takes down the weird crosses that they're, they're up on. Oh, uh, yeah. And he grabs the top of it and kind of wrenches it free. And, and it's just this incredibly, seamless special effect where you have the the actor in the the Majin costume but also what still looks to be Tadafumi on on the cross being moved around and just the the, the special effects there were super impressive that's for, that's great. for 1966 yeah the the one special effect that like really stands out stood out to me when I was watching it as being like, man, this is great. Is is I think less complex than that. Um I think maybe that speaks to that one being so good that it didn't even really <laughs> hit me. But like that part where there's these guys up in a tower and uh Daimajin swipes down at it and yeah. where it's shot from inside the tower and the roof yeah. collapses as he's like smashing it down. And that's like uh composite, but it's like timed perfectly and the way the tower crumbles and stuff just looks exactly like he hit it and it just is very cool yeah um it's it also is a uh, great uh, credit to the camera work as well mm-hmm. 
like uh everything every, everything kind of reads like a really well-drawn comic to me mm. just how uh, every every shot is very intentional yeah so we're we're jumping around a lot sorry scott <laughs> <laughs> it's okay like my my notes for once Daimajin shows up are just kind of being in awe of the special effects mm-hmm. so so really the plot wise what goes on is he shows up he frees kazasa and tadafumi as the entire village both samonosuke's men and the villagers just flee in terror and uh uh once majin takes down the the crosses that uh tadafumi and kogenta are on he just starts beelining towards samonosuke uh which i don't think was in kozasa's uh prayers to him i think he's just he knows who's responsible for the giant nail sticking out of his head mm-hmm <clears throat> Um, but yeah, you get a lot of, of really cool shots of him. Just even, even the less exciting stuff where there's no villagers in the shot where he's just stomping through buildings are so good. And the, the actual buildings, like I said, because of the scale of, of the statue, he's not just like stomping on little tiny buildings. They're actually huge set pieces that he is destroying and knocking down that are uh, frequently as tall as he is. Yeah. And so and, intricate, all those little like shingles on the roof and stuff. You can see them all falling apart individually. It's incredible. Yeah, that was super impressive to me. It's not like they're just like kind of shaped out of foam or something. They're they're actual like miniature roofing shingles that they have put on these things. And just the the care and detail into all these shots as everything gets wrecked is super impressive. Like the the there are still frames in the buildings. It's not just uh, one solid piece, like he'll knock stuff down, and then the frame will be, still be standing, and then mm. that will fall. Mm. Uh, but he eventually catches up with uh, Samonosuke, who runs into a building to hide. Uh, uh, there's this really cool shot of uh Samonosuke looking through a window to the like room or building next to him, where he sees one of his men getting crushed into a wall by Majin's hand, which is, like I said, super impressive to me, just the the fact that they made an entire scale-sized hand for that shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But then then that that same prop, I guess, starts going after Samonosuke reaching into the building, feeling around for him, trying to get him as Samonosuke dodges around. And then uh, it pulls back out and he thinks he's safe. And like, I laughed out loud at this next part because the camera zooms out and we see that Majin's other hand is lurking behind Samonosuke. Yeah. And when he turns around and sees it, it grabs him. Yeah. That's totally, at least has the like, uh, I don't know what to say, what to call it. The, the cadence of a joke. Uh, it definitely yeah, it's, like, it's definitely like a comedy beat. Yeah. <laughs> but the the best part of it, like in, in horror movies, even silly ones that, that, that kind of thing gets played for a joke. But the fact that it's just an arm and a hand and not like a standalone being is mm-hmm. what really made me lose my, my mind. <laughs> uh, and, and then we get even uh, more, very interesting combination of, I guess, composite and, and dolls and stuff. 
as he actually picks up Samonosuke and starts carrying him around. Um, I have to to go back and relook at the, and look at those shots again to see, try to figure out what's going on in those. Yeah, because what's what? even when it's the, even when it's I presume the doll, it's still like wiggling around and moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Majin puts Samonosuke up against a building and uh, impales him with the giant spike that he rips from his own head and then just stabs Samonosuke. Oh, so cool. Yeah, this is just brutal because it's the, the spike itself is like th- as long as a person is tall and it's just huge. Yeah, it's so great because like I was thinking about it when he was terrorizing the village and still had the nail in his head. I was like, it's interesting that they kept that there because you'd think that like when it was time to debut the monster, they'd want him sort of clean, you know, without any like foreign objects. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but like it pays off so well, uh, and and as he's stomping around and it's sticking out of his head, it's actually just a really great reminder for why he's so pissed off. I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But the because the the impaling is actually done off screen because this movie is not actually that violent. But then as he steps away and the camera pans to show Semenuske actually impaled is just the the entire village is is aghast. Mm-hmm. More, which is odd because they're, I guess, I guess they're just horrified by the sheer act of violence rather than having any uh, affection for Samonosuke and worrying their necks, uh, which they are because then Daimajin starts indiscriminately attacking villagers uh, now that his, his given task is done. Yeah. Which it, it's, it's interesting because the, there's not a lot to go on of there, there are two other Daimajin movies, but they are tonally different and they're, they're by different directors, even though they're all written by the same guy and I haven't watched the other two. So it's hard to get a read on what Majin's actual motives are. Yeah. Like what drives him, but he, he starts uh, just throwing around other villagers and Kozasa runs out and begs him to begs him to stop, which he just completely ignores and throws a guy and keeps stomping around and is about to step on the young boy when Kozasa throws herself in front of him saying, and to protect the boy uh, who gets clear. And Kozasa says, uh, just step on me if that will, will sate your rage <laughs> and uh, her, her selflessness and, self-sacrifice uh, i guess move majin to to actually end his rampage and the spirit flies off the skies brighten and i had i've been listening to a lot of talking simpsons so once the skies turned blue i was just <laughs> like the simpsons. yeah but um, <laughs> totally. the the spirit flies off to who knows where and then the statue crumbles to nothing uh, and Kozasa or and Tadafumi pulls Kozasa out of the way of the the crumbling statue, and the the village is wrecked, but the day is effectively saved as Samonosuke and his men have been uh, wrecked. And Kozasa realizing that her brother and Kogenta are still alive and have not been executed, her her prayers have been answered, 
she faints from being overwhelmed by everything, and we get a the end title card over the pile of rubble that used to be the statue. Yeah, that's a cool shot. Which, like, I was I was not quite expecting the ending to be that abrupt. Mm-hmm. But upon reflection, they basically did everything they needed to do to, yeah. to wrap things up. Like that, that is a natural endpoint. Um, yeah, it was interesting to me that he crumbles and falls apart at the end. Like the three movies aren't connected or anything like that. They're just kind of separate uh, Dimajin stories told within sort of the same kind of formula. Yeah. Uh, but like. I don't know. I was kind of surprised to see him not just sort of return and turn back into a statue and sit back down, you know, in the mountains or whatever. Uh, I actually would have liked it if uh, kind of like the end of, of Shin Godzilla, if he the spirit left the statue, but it was just there in the middle of the city now. Is this kind of like <laughs> terrifying reminder? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, he's he's off to inhabit other statues elsewhere i suppose yeah um alex you said this was your your first time seeing this what were your initial impressions um right so i kind of got the gist of where this movie was going uh as soon as um kogenta got kidnapped i'm like oh i see they're just they're they're gonna get the end of their rope and they're going to summon daimajin at the end like I don't know, the movie felt telegraphed to me, but mm-hmm. I was very engaged because it's a gorgeous movie. And uh I thought the acting was very good. Uh I don't know, it's and it's been a and I and it's been a while since um since I saw a uh well since I saw the original Godzilla and I think that the um that the roots of giant monster movies, uh you know, I you know, they they obviously come from Godzilla and that ilk but uh this was I don't know it it, it was so different because when you think giant monster movies you think contemporary uh Japan I guess yeah tanks yes yeah so I kind of wanted to see where this went and what kind of what kind of character Daimajin was like because you know Godzilla is just uh at least in the um the two Godzilla movies that I've seen, uh, the original and Shin Godzilla, uh, he's just an animal, you know? He's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just an animal just wandering around, just doing doing whatever, uh, reacting to his surroundings. But Daimajin is very clearly a, like, he's a god. Um, so, you know, I, I, uh, I was looking forward to seeing the, the difference in in monsters, I guess, and intent. Yeah. Yeah. Joey, how was the, the rewatch for you? Uh, it was great. Yeah. I, I like, I love Daimajin. I, I love, like, uh, as I mentioned, I really love the design of Daimajin himself. Uh, and, and as we covered all the special effects and stuff are amazing. So, um, you know, so I, I love it for that, uh, reason, but also, the, you know, G Daigeki drama, you know, that is decent enough to kind of carry you through, in my opinion. And I, I and uh but and the fact that he doesn't show up until the very end makes it very satisfying. But, you know, I, I, I must admit that I did kind of find myself getting a little fidgety about, you know, halfway, three quarters of the way through. 
um, a little bit, just um, maybe because I'd seen it before, but like, um, as far as like the kind of spectrum of Daimajin stuff, like I might like the second movie the best, uh, just because it has, it follows the same formula where Daimajin doesn't show up until the last, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, but it has a little more in the way of like special effects and supernatural stuff going on throughout the movie. So you get a little of that, you know, a little tokusatsu to tide you over uh, while you're waiting for Daimajin to show up. Um, but yeah, the as we were talking about, the camera work is beautiful. Um, so much striking shots. The one that really strikes me is uh, when Kozasa's pleading with Daimajin uh, when he's still a statue. There's just a really a lot of really beautiful shots of her with you know surrounded by woods and then the statue uh, off in the background and stuff that just look beautiful uh going back to that scene for a second there's something i i didn't note is that the majority of that scene is actually from uh daimajin's perspective it is looking down on her on the ground like looking mm. up and pleading with her, her with him as she is like super tiny yeah mm. yeah and that's cool too um so yeah uh, you know i love daimajin uh it's it's really great and it's very like sort of a, a classy uh kaiju movie like the fact that it is yeah. mostly uh, this historical drama stuff. Uh, and it's interesting to compare it to Hidden Fortress because, um, yeah, I do see some talk about it online every once in a while where people say, like, it's not even really fair to call it a kaiju movie or whatever. But, like, um, you know, it's kind of both. Um, what were your uh, general thoughts, Scott? Uh, so it was really interesting. Like I said, the last time I saw this, I was a kid and, like, a, probably around, like, 10 or 11, I think. And so I remembered the the giant statue coming to life and destroying everything and thought that was incredibly cool. So I had really fond memories of this movie. Uh, I did not remember anything else about it pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because when I was little, I thought the, the more traditional Jedi Geki parts were boring, didn't pay much attention to them. Uh, so that stuff, that, that end of the movie, or that part of the movie was... Uh, pretty fresh for me and i i did get like you said a little twitchy towards the the middle around the time the kid showed up because i just i was like all right we're we, we've jumped 10 years ahead we're going to spin our wheels for a little while before stuff actually gets going <laughs> yeah um i did notice that there's a bit of a lull in the movie yeah um, but but the movie is not a very long one so no it, it wasn't a big detriment no it's yeah. only it's not even 90 minutes long i don't think um so yeah, they there is that kind of like small lull in the middle, but it picks back up pretty quickly once people start getting captured. And uh, I was rewatching it; I was really impressed. It ha- this movie has a kind of uh, a, a reputation of even even though people don't talk about it much that it's the like most beautiful kind of most art artsy of the older kaiju stuff and i think that mm-hmm. reputation is deserved like that we keep talking about it but I, I we have to emphasize like the cinematography and just like everything in this movie is super beautiful yeah something and, else that brings that to it is the music um akira yeah. Fukube. um like he brings so much like heaviness and depth to all his scores but like i think something that this movie has that uh sets it apart a bit from like Godzilla and stuff is that because uh, there isn't that like army and stuff that like 
Alex was talking about, like that it's not in the uh, modern setting. He, uh, Ifukube kind of cuts back on, on he, he doesn't do any of those sort of military marches and stuff. So all we get is his like somber, heavy score stuff that I'm super into. Yeah, I um I did note down in my notes that uh, this sounded like it would be from a Godzilla movie. The music, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. None of the none of the specific tracks stood out to me that much, except for the one when they're uh walking through the forest towards the kind of mountain hideaway near the statue. Uh, and and that I liked just because it sounded like super ominous, but a lot of the, the soundtrack sounds oppressive and ominous in a really cool mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And the, the soundtrack to this sounds less like it belongs to a giant monster stomping around. And like I said before, it it's, sounds like it belongs to a horror movie, mm. which in parts this, this kind of is, um, but yeah, I, I, I really love the difference even though there's like i said there's no standout to me but the, the soundtrack really fits the movie incredibly well um i also wanted to to note that re-watching this i was really impressed by a lot of the performances particularly uh the guy playing samonosuke mm. uh, i he he chews the scenery just a little bit in <laughs> kind of like being this like super evil snidely whiplash jerk yeah, kind of very must, mustache twirling uh, villain. He, but, he looked like he had a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I'm really sad that I couldn't find much else notable from from these folks that any of them did, except I guess you said Gunjiro shows up in a lot of. Uh, yeah, and stuff. he's the only one I looked up. Like, I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these guys show up in like Zatoichi or whatever. Yeah, I also like Samonosuke's uh, transition between the when he is just a vassal of the Lord, when he's got his like regular hair and and looks kind of young and maybe a little dirty, and then his ten years later, you jump and he's got a fancy mustache and the the samurai top knot with the shaved part in front of it, mm. and he's like really kind of settled into his new role as being the boss around here. Which I was, I'm, I'm really glad I got an opportunity to rewatch this and I'm looking forward to watching the other two movies. The second one is supposed to be, have uh, kind of a little bit of the flavor of like old style Hollywood spectacle from what I've seen. There's a, he like parts the waters like Charlton yeah. Heston. Yeah. He does. Commandments. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then I think the third one is supposed to be more of kind of uh, what we would recognize as a traditional kaiju movie. Yeah, it's kind of more kids focused. I think there's little kid characters that are even more prominent than than in this one. That director tacked towards the the Gamera direction, maybe. Mm, yeah. Uh, did you did uh, Alex? Did you have any standout parts that you wanted to like go back and highlight, or that were your favorite? So I love I love um both major battles um between the uh um the invaders and the uh I guess the um the uh, sh- uh I guess he's a shogun should I say king the lord I yeah the <laughs> the the lord yeah um at the beginning uh and also when um 
during the uprising at the end. I thought the action sequences were very well filmed, but the the one scene that really stick, sticks out to me is when Daimajin takes the uh, chisel out of his forehead and stabs uh, Samanosuke with it. Um, I was not expecting that. Uh, <laughs> like, it's ridiculously violent compared to everything else in the movie. And um, not something that you see uh, for movies of that time period, something that particularly that violent. And the thing that I noted about it is that he's um, basically crucified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very similar to um, uh, Kogenta and uh, I forget his name, the the boy. Who's yeah, grown up. Yeah, Tadafumi. Um, I'm not sure what significance that had other than uh, an ironic death because you tried to crucify them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was, uh, I, I noted that kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Joey, did you have any favorite parts? Um, yeah, I mean, Daimajin showing up at the end is, of course, a big payoff. Uh, but um, uh, my what I was going to talk about kind of relates to what Alex was talking about. I just really love the entire sequence where he's chasing after Somonosuke. Um, <clears throat> as we had mentioned, the parts with him like sticking his hand through the tower and him and having that sort of <laughs> semi comedic beat and stuff, but like. Uh, and then eventually f- him picking him up and nailing him to the cross. Like the comparison between Daimajin and Godzilla is hard to avoid. But the thing that stands out for me is what we were even getting to a little bit earlier about how Godzilla um, it's kind of more like a natural disaster or like an animal, like Alex was saying, and 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 destroys pretty indiscriminately. But um, Daimajin, at least for this part, uh, shows a lot more, you know, purpose in his destruction and uh, has specific targets, which is, is you know, slightly undercut by him just kind of going wild afterwards. Um, but I think it still is what um, makes him stand out. Um, one of the things that makes him stand out against Godzilla is that he has a bit more maybe agency, especially when you compare to the, like the original Godzilla and stuff. Um, and so I think him sort of like <laughs> hunting down a specific guy and terrorizing him before killing him in this, you know, poignant way uh, illustrates that best. So my favorite part uh, in general is just the special effects, but the specific scene that really gets me is the one where Gunjuro and his men get swallowed by the mountain because I was expecting big man in a rubber statue suit stomping around. I was not expecting like, Lord of the Rings mountains moving and opening up to swallow people. Um, that plus the like eerie green light that shoots out and everything was incredibly impressive and not what I was expecting from the, uh, from the film, but the special effects in general are just shockingly good. Um, so uh, we got nothing else to say about this. Uh, Alex, what are we doing next month? Oh man! Uh, next month is a Takeshi Kitano movie. Um, back back in the saddle with with Pete Takeshi. Um, one of my favorite movies, Kikujiro. Uh, it's such a such a lovely film, and um, it's been a long time since I watched it, so I can't wait to revisit it. Cool. This is one I haven't seen of his, so I'm excited to to check it out. I love everything else he does. So. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited to hear your thoughts because it's not like the typical. Uh, beat Takeshi Yakuza, you know, Yakuza guy movie. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? 
You can find me at dude exclamation all one word on Twitter um, and Instagram if if that's your if that's your poison. Uh, you can also listen to me on the One Piece podcast every week talking about One Piece. Um, and you can also check out Weeb Simpsons on Twitter. I may or may not have something to do with that Twitter account. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Vriska Chat on Twitter. V R I S K A C H A T. Um, not much going on with me right right now, but uh, follow me. Talk to, talk to me about movies, anime, video games. Uh, tell me what you think about this episode. Um, also, once again, you can find our friend Robert at Atomic underscore Elbow, where he mostly talks about 30-year-old Southeast Territory wrestling and really good music. So go check him out. Uh, Joey, where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or joeyweiser.tumblr.com, where you can see news about my comics. Uh, I'm a cartoonist, the author of the Merman graphic novel series. Books one through five are available now, and that's the whole series, so check them out. Um, Also, just as a note, um, our uh, Unchained Melody contest, our book contest, as we're recording this, is uh, still going. Uh, We've got a few more days, um, so we can't announce the winner yet, but um, tune in next episode for uh, where we'll, we'll mention the winner, but... The uh, we'll email back whoever wins the book. By the time this episode drops, um, the contest will be over and the winner will be emailed. So if you did not receive an email, uh, sorry, try again next time. But also congrats to our winner for that. Um, as far as Toho Yaro, uh, we also have a Twitter at Toho Yaro. Um, and Toho Yaro is on Facebook where you can like us for uh, news about upcoming episodes and stuff. Our Twitter account, we're a bit more active, uh, retweeting uh, announcements like, um, you know, almost every month, um, Arrow Video or Criterion has an announcement of a Japanese film they're putting out and stuff and things like that. Um, and um, please uh, subscribe to our podcast, of course, and, and uh, like us on uh, whatever social medias uh, you can and rate and review us because those uh, ratings and reviews make us feel good as well as uh, help promote the show. Uh, so thanks, thanks a lot. All right. And thanks, everybody. And be sure to tune in next month for Kikijiro. <laughs>